Welcome everybody to the Half Court Podcast. He's Joel, I'm Dirk, and what a week of local basketball in Nebraska. Wow. Uh, I feel like there's uh, the ripple effects from Sunday at CHI Health Center are, are still rippling, Joel. Um, we're going to get into both sides of this, Nebraska and Creighton. Nebraska's got a big one against Purdue tomorrow. Uh, the Jays are headed to Vegas. Uh, you're going to Vegas, right? I am. Of course. Why not, right? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, so I, I think, you know, we need to we need to look ahead at where these programs are going, but but boy, we would uh we would be neglecting our duties if we didn't look back at Sunday. And uh, is stunning a performance uh, on both sides in this rivalry as as I can ever remember. Uh, a fifteen point underdog doesn't lose in college basketball very often. And especially doesn't lose when there's the track record that Creighton has against Nebraska. So um, we're going to get into a lot of different angles of this on both sides. But I got to ask you the most basic question in the world: What the hell happened? Whew! Um, it's still like it makes me cringe talking about it today. <laughs> like it, like um, I really feel, and I, I I have to say, like I've done a few like radio hits this week, and people have asked me like. Uh, similar questions and uh, like I, I've had to like apologize almost like I, I, I at least admit that I was wrong because I wrote a column the day before um, as like an event for the game and it was pretty dismissive of Nebraska basketball because I, I am inserting myself into this this thing that I never experienced before I mean I grew up watching like UNC Duke yeah and like and then I went to college and experienced Mizzou Kansas so like I wasn't, you know, fully uh, submerged in, in uh, you know, Nebraska and Creighton. So I come here, I see the record, I see that this is Creighton's greatest team ever. At least that's what they called it uh, ahead of the season. And so I'm like, okay, like why, why is this game still a, like who cares about this game anymore, right? Like which which side even does any either side care about this game? So that's kind of what I wrote about, um, and I was writing about whether the narrative should shift around the game and and whatnot. And um, uh, holy shit, they made me look dumb. Um, Nebraska really made me look dumb. Um, that I, I would say it was a fun game. I, I, it wasn't the most fun to watch. It was. It was not fun to watch. It's pretty nasty, yeah. but but it was. It the result was fun. Like that's what college basketball is about, right? Exactly. Like, um, so what what happened was um, Nebraska. I mean, Max said it. Nebraska came with a game plan, a better game plan than them, and they executed it very well i mean that's that's about as much as you could hope for out of this nebraska team i mean uh i thought the the dynamic especially toward the end of the game um between sam griesel and Derek walker like those are two transcendent players for them like Derek walker changes the entire game and he destroyed kalkbrenner like kalkbrenner has hasn't looked himself in all of his matches this year like he's it's very strange to say that there are players that have gotten the best of him in one-on-one matches this year, like uh, Umar Balo, like literally killed him, like looked like Embiid against him in Hawaii. Now that night, I thought Kalkbrenner was sick. Yeah, and and you know like, I've I've heard similar things. Um, he wasn't sick Sunday. I mean, right. He, his his complexion was better. He just yeah. He just got killed by a six-nine big, and Derek Walker is incredibly talented, but um, but man, he. I don't I don't know what's up with him, but I will say like Derek Walker handed it to him like it, it there wasn't a down the stretch there wasn't a possession where Derek Walker caught it and I didn't think oh he he he's not gonna score like 
Like, it, it was light for him. And then Sam Griesel, the pressure he put when they started pressing and they had to put, like, a small guard would have to pick him up. And he was just, like, the empty side post-ups you saw in the beginning of the game that were, like, kind of neutralized. They started working. And they not only did they start working, like, started causing havoc. And okay. it was wraps from there. Y- you're right about all that. Yeah. But Nebraska only scored 63 points. Yeah. Okay. Creighton lost the game because Creighton couldn't score. Yeah. Creighton took 43s. Insane what, number, by the way. What is going on with this offense? Like, my my criticism of Creighton's offense is that they think they're a really good shooting team, and they're actually not. Uh, but I have a feeling that from your vantage point, it's more complex than that. And it is. Um, mostly because, like, before the Texas game, like, there was only one bad shooting game they had. The rest were, like, 40% in that range. Like, the the worst game we were talking about was St. Thomas. Then we get to Austin, and it's like, oh, shit, 15% is crazy off, like, 27 attempts. Like, that was that was wild to watch, like, unfold because with every shot, you're thinking, is this the one that's going to fall? And then by a certain point, you're like, okay, just stop shooting. Like, it's not going to happen. And I thought with the Texas game, um, Texas – was giving them a little more to work with, and then Creighton was getting to like a little more of the mid range here and there, getting to the rim at least. Like Nebraska, there was none of that. Um, so like, even though they still somehow shot better from three in the Nebraska game, you wouldn't believe that if you watched that game. But um, they did. But they didn't shoot overall from the field. They shot way worse than Texas because um, all Nebraska gave them was threes. And so you're watching them pack the paint, and Creighton is shooting and shooting. And 40 attempts is like some nut shit. Like that's <laughs> that's otherworldly. And so what's yeah, what's crazy is like the first four minutes of the game, Creighton took like five threes and six threes, something like that. And I thought to myself, boy, they're on pace to shoot 40 threes, which is you know that's LeBron type crazy, cap dirt. Crazy that's high. LeBron cap dirt. And then they actually got to 40. Uh, you know, and some of that was a little bit desperation at the end, but like. I realized Nebraska was was packing the paint and then scrambling and rotating, and Nebraska's got a bunch of guys who are six six, six seven, six eight, and you know they they close out really hard and well, but it just felt like Creighton was was adamant to break the ceiling off of the building with a couple threes, and and they were just they were stubbornly pursuing you know, that big roar when they they probably should have just been a little bit more disciplined in, in getting to the rim. Sure, and, well, you know, the thing with them is, um, like, they generate those looks. Like, even aside from Nebraska letting them have some of those, like, they look to generate those looks, and they do. And you'll see, like, I was talking about this uh, with someone from the staff the other day, like, um, you look at, there's a, there's a page that, that tracks shot quality on Twitter. Yep. And they're, like, they're easy, like, top ten in the country in shot quality, and they, like, I don't think they ever lose a game in terms of shot quality because they get the looks, right? But then you've seen games where they have such a wild disparity in how many they actually knock down. Um, and I think you've seen that the last two games. But Nebraska, it was crazy because now you're just, you're really, truly, like, the Texas game, they still found a way to be in that because whether that was, like, other miscellaneous buckets or, like, their defense, um, which they didn't have uh, on Sunday, um, they still found a way to be in that game. But uh, the Nebraska game was like they were really dying. You were witnessing die. They were dying on that hill, and yeah. it was it was rough to watch, man. Like it, at a certain point, you're like, like is this this team's floor? Like I thought Austin was the team's floor, and then you come out against Nebraska, and you're like, none of the starters are gonna play well. Like not they're 
none of them are going to give you a game. I mean, Farabello was the best performer, and I mean, he hasn't exactly had a great year. So um, you're looking around, you're like, this is this is what it looks like when this team. It was play. there was a really interesting comment from McDermott afterwards that that I think has been <clears throat> was a question in my mind before the season. Okay, uh, Kansas Kansas knows that they're wearing the target every year. Kentucky knows they're wearing the target every year. Duke knows. Okay, Gonzaga knows. Creighton doesn't usually wear the target. Yeah, and it's one thing to go to Maui and like go up against teams that are equal to you. Uh, or maybe even higher in stature. Uh, it's one thing to play by games where you know you can play poorly and still win. Yep. But when you go into a game against a Power 5 opponent where you're the perceived better team, better program, uh, and you're wearing the target, that's, that's a little new to Creighton. And I think even with you know the experience that Shireman brought in, this is still a team that, that is not not used to those expectations, I guess. Uh, I realize these guys have played a lot of basketball. I mean, Nemhard has, you know, Nemhard's played with some of the best players in the country, and, you know, Kalkbrenner's been around a long time, and I, I get all that. But it's just different when the expectations are as high as they are, and you miss your first five or six threes, and, stud- you know, suddenly you you tighten up a little bit. Uh, and it just feels like Creighton is playing a little bit tight and a little bit quick. Um, and I realize some of those shots are going to go down, but but I, I'm not convinced that, that these guys have the intangibles figured out yet. Yeah, and you make a great point because this is a that I brought that Matt quote up a few times this week when I'm talking to people or when I'm writing. Like, that that's a legitimate dynamic, I think. Um, and they got bum rushed. Like, they. I don't think they really knew how to handle that. And I asked Mac, like, do you feel that way about the games coming up? And he was like, no, we lost three straight. Like, now I think they're in a place where they're like, uh, maybe. Now they have the edge back. Yeah, maybe. Because uh, they're obviously not number seven anymore. And um, people are viewing them as maybe not frauds, but like, hey, like, maybe we should have took a step back here. And I don't think it helps that UConn looks like the best team in the country right now. So, like. Uh, I think we're questioning whether the Big East really runs through Omaha at this point. But um, so I think those things, if they really true truly do live and die by that underdog uh, edge, like I think they're maybe in a good place right now. But um, you're right; it's an interesting dynamic to battle, especially when there is no singular leader on this team like Orion Hawkins. Like that's something they've uh, already, you know proclaimed before the season and it's still like an active thing they're dealing with not like they feel like it's an issue like they really believe this team could get by as like a a unit like a vocal unit but um it it damn sure would have helped to have a singular voice in a game like sunday and you know just during a time like this i have two two uh questions that i want to i want to get to that both both i think are difficult questions to answer so uh, I don't think there's a right answer on this. But first of all, of the five starters, who are you most worried about long-term? Like, I don't know if this guy's going to figure it out. Long-term, like their career or this year? No, just like, you know, over the next one to three months. Like, who who do you think? Because, you know, you talked about Kaluma and trying to get back in rhythm. Uh, you know, we've, <laughs> we've seen Shireman's, you know, shooting slump. Kalkbrenner's defense doesn't seem to be what it was. 
Uh, I thought Trey Alexander was has is <laughs> is sort of broken right now. Yeah. Uh, I there's a lot of issues. Which individual are you most concerned about? Sort of getting back on track. I hate that there's for me a glaring answer to this um, because I would I would be neglecting the years that the rest of them have had because I think they've they all had their flashes, but the one I've been furthest off the mark with is Kaluma. Um, that's a guy who I've been a big agenda pusher for. Like I thought he was. Uh, I mean, you saw the mock drafts coming into the season, like the the idea of Kaluma at his peak is still great. Um, and at his best, he's still an NBA player. But he hasn't been at his best, man. Um, I thought the Texas game was really encouraging for him. Um, and I don't know if he just played up to the competition after, you know, a week of having not played up to the competition in Maui. Um, and then you look at the Nebraska game, and um, I don't think he made a shot. I think it went like 0 for 8 or 0 for 6 or something like that. And uh, you saw, like, throughout the course of the game, like I talked about that that shot that he – passed on like in the second half like that was a bad look for me like i'm that was almost ben simmons against the hawks you know <sighs> yeah we're not gonna it wasn't like that yeah. but you know what it sort of reminded me of that it's like oh that was that showed that showed a little bit of lack of confidence there because it's not a shot that he hasn't taken before like that's a shot he would take nine times out of ten and, and when you look at it from the grand scheme of things like you could say oh yeah a player isn't on today so he's gonna overlook a shot and try to get teammates involved but nobody was on so like what do you have to lose right so i don't i don't know but um kaluma and we we talked after that texas game and uh he was very encouraged and um i think what was so good about him in the texas game was he he was thinking but he wasn't overthinking like um you saw getting into the lane passing like the dump downs from from cogbender were like chef's kiss like he was doing some great things on the ball uh, without, you know, over-asserting himself in the game. Like, he just letting the game come to him. And I don't know how much of that we saw in the Nebraska game. Um, so I'm, I, I want to see the Kaluma where he lets things come to him. It comes within the flow of the game. Obviously, if your shots don't fall, your shots don't fall. But um, I thought if anybody could have maybe changed the way that game went down in terms of, you know, dribble penetration and, you know, finding a different dynamic other than chucking threes. I thought it would have been him, frankly. Hmm. Uh, my, my second big question, bigger concern long-term, shooting or bench production? Hmm. You stumped me. <laughs> they, they, I Both mean, of them are big concerns at this point, but which, yeah. which of the two is a bigger concern to you? I think what's shown itself more is the lack of bench production. And I think... Long term, I I definitely say long term bench production only because this they've had some really great shooting games. We can't call this team a bad shooting team yet. They've had a couple bad shooting games in a row. They're probably their two worst bad shooting games in a row, considering the circumstances. Um, but I think that's a a slump. I think that's a low. Um, and and especially relative to the bench production because, um, like. Let's say these last two games were their shooting floor. Okay. Really bad days. Um, could probably shoot themselves out of the tournament on any given day. Sure. It's a concern. But is it bigger than bench production in terms of concern? Like, we're looking at a team that really might have to put all of its weight 
on its five starters to go anywhere. Like we we're looking at a team that like if one of their starters goes down somehow, like we're looking at a whole different team, man, because their bench is like it's Well, and I think the two are related because yeah. I think when the when the starters have to carry as much burden as they do, both in terms of minutes and scoring production, like you're gonna see tired legs. And tired legs show up on defense and they show up in jump shooting. And I kind of think Creighton looked tired on Sunday, sure. you know? Um, I realize maybe that's maybe that's just a Maui hangover, but like I don't know if I don't know if you can put this this percentage of the the production on five guys and not have it catch up to them either in the form of injury or just just weary legs, you know, in the middle of the conference season that that probably manifests itself in in more jump shooting problems. So they got to find. I mean, Mason Miller. I mean, they they got to find somebody who can not only come in and play. I mean, Farabello hit five threes, you know, on Sunday. So you, it's sort of ironic to point this out after a game like he just had. <laughs> yeah, but like, but it's one man. They got to get eight. You know, they got to get eight guys in the mix that are. That right. are a threat, and yeah. right right now they've got six, right, uh, five and a half. So exactly, I don't know. It's I don't know how sustainable it is right now. Yeah, and you can't you can't exactly rush that bench along. Like Sh- Sharif, Sharif is really gonna be a tough decision to watch through the year. Because as far as I like, when I talk to Mac, like he's set on Sharif playing. Like he, this is a guy who earned minutes on his last. Uh, like the tournament team that went far. Like this yeah. is a guy that he really believes in and um feels like has earned his, his keep. And so even despite the the bad stretches or the lineups where you feel like it's unbearable that he's in them, like Mac doesn't care. Like Mac really believes in Reef and wants him to play. Which might not always look the best with some of the guys he shares the floor with. And I don't know if that's just, that's probably more on him than. But he brings else, but. an intensity. He brings an identity that I think helps. Right. I mean, he can he can sort of influence the game just just by sheer you know ferocity on the ball that sure. that I think probably takes some pressure off the other guys and at least gives them a break defensively, even if he's not. A shooting threat. Well, see, I thought about that in the Texas game because I thought I was watching him, you know, defend ball screens. I'm thinking, like, guys are attacking screens differently when he's on them. But at the same time, like, I don't think it outweighs the cons on the other end. Like, you're really seeing him, like, not just be less than reliable on the ball, like, be, like, a non-factor or even, like, liability sometimes, like, on offense. Like, it's it's been crazy to watch because it's not something I saw. I thought he'd at least – replicate his last healthy season's production or even I mean I didn't I didn't personally think he'd make a leap but I knew people were confident in him making at least a small jump from his last healthy season and it hasn't happened it's it's less than happened it's it's been the complete opposite so I don't know I mean, with the rest of their bench um they're just young man like Fred King has to play games he's only, he's only been playing basketball for so long let alone let alone college basketball and then uh, Mason Miller he has his strengths but he also like can't play defense right now, so um, they all. It's gonna take time, man. They're not exactly in a position that UConn's in, where their their freshman and their bench is like loaded, and they got a guy in, in Klingon who's like possibly freshman of the year, uh, barring any Cam Whitmore monster season. Like, so I, I'm worried. I mean, I'll be honest. I was super high on him after Arkansas. 
Um, I thought the way they handled the intensity of those first two games in Maui was super impressive. Uh, the Arizona thing didn't didn't jar my confidence much because, again, I didn't think Kalkbrenner looked right, and it was the third tough game in three days. <laughs> yeah. And but the Texas thing shook me a little bit, even though they, you know, it was a five point game. I didn't think I didn't think that was a very encouraging performance. And then Sunday was a little bit of like a there was a little bit of an epiphany there. You know, it's like are these guys who who we thought they were? Um, and I, frankly, I just think some of these things, you know, they just, they need to get a handle on being the hunted instead of the hunter. You know, I think that's, there's a, there's a piece of that, that again, Creighton's just not used to in the same way that, that, a a Kentucky or a Kansas is, uh, I mean, it's, it's not just these guys. I mean, there's other big dogs that aren't playing well this year either. I mean, Gonzaga struggled, Carolina struggled, Oh, Carolina uh, struggled big time. Creighton is, in, Creighton is in Carolina's boat, but they're not exactly doing as, as hot as Gonzaga. Like, Gonzaga's bounced back here and there, and they've had a really, really tough schedule. So, Yeah, I just think, uh, you know, I'd rather have Creighton go through this in December than go through it in February. Sure. Um, but I think these issues are real, and I, don't, I wouldn't want to dismiss them. The, the last thing I want to talk about in regard to Creighton, and this will be a good transition into Nebraska, 20 years ago, Joel, when you were about two years old and Creighton was dominating this rivalry, uh, and granted, they've dominated it pretty much ever since, but Creighton was Creighton had the edge. Creighton had the chip on their shoulder. Creighton was a bunch of underdog kids from within a 500-mile radius, and you know Ben Walker and Ryan Sears and all the Kyle Korver and all these guys that they were under-recruited and they got a chance to play you know, major conference Nebraska, and they looked forward to taking it to the Huskers. And now it sort of feels like it's flipped where Creighton looks at themselves in the same league as, you know, UConn, Villanova, Arkansas, Texas, Tech, Texas. And it's like Nebraska comes to town. And it's like Nebraska, who cares about Nebraska, right? And it's almost like the, the intangible or psychological edge, Sunday anyway, flipped the other way where for decades Creighton had the had sort of the intangible advantage in this rivalry, uh, had more motivation, I think. And now, like, it was pretty clear that Nebraska was was more fired up on Sunday. And granted, some of that is shots going down, I realize, but, like, I'm not sure Creighton cares about Nebraska anymore. And I think Nebraska cares, at least this year, cared a lot about beating Creighton. And I thought that showed Sunday. Yeah, and uh, from the Creighton side, that's kind of what I try to capture in that column. Maybe I didn't, you know capture it completely uh you know in all its totality but um but yeah i mean i i'd agree not having been here for that long i mean that's what it felt like having you know breathe every second of this season and what it was supposed to be in this new team dynamic you know before then like that's exactly what it felt like and and um i don't know man like creating i mean they were days away from are days off of playing the number two team in the country. Exactly. Like, you know, like they had bigger fish to fry, frankly. So they come to that game and it's like, oh shit, like we have to play today, like not look ahead or behind us. You feel me? So yeah, no, they used to highlight the Nebraska game. And and this year it was like, oh, Nebraska, we got to play these guys. Like they suck, you know, they're beneath us. And I felt like it took 10 minutes into the game for Creighton to kind of wake up and be like, oh, okay. They're actually going to play with us today. Yeah. And by then, it was like 
their their problems were already on their front porch. So yes, they, yeah, they were too grown and outsized them for sure. You talked about Derek Walker, um, and man, I think I think from a Nebraska. Granted, Nebraska didn't play well against Indiana the other night. Sam Greasel wasn't wasn't playing, mm-hmm. uh, but but Nebraska is legitimately a different team with Walker. I mean, they're just they were pretty sad the first you know that second half against st john's and uh even the lost oklahoma but with walker coming back nebraska looks like a legitimate basketball team i don't know if they're gonna you know get to 500 or be an nit team but uh, they they look like the team that can give teams problems by the way they play both offensively and defensively and i didn't really see that happening until walker came back yeah and I mean, damn, like, I I, I kind of had the feeling coming into that game, like, Derek Walker's back, like, this is a guy, I wanted to say this is a guy that could maybe challenge Kalkbrenner based on the year he's had and how he's looked, and even, like, on his own, like, he's, he's just a good player, and then he showed that Sunday, like, he exceeded what I even thought he could do, so, um, obviously, like, coming into the year, we're talking about Nebraska being, like, whatever, but I always thought, like, with their to- total team and, you know, if Derek Walker looked like this, maybe, like, they were definitely going to be above that bottom tier of, like, uh, Northwestern and, and Minnesota. Like, we weren't going to be able to talk about those teams in the same light. But um, I don't know. Maybe they're looking even better than that. I mean, he changed the whole complexion of his team in a way that I didn't predict. Um, and then Sam Griesel, what a what a great addition, man, like. They really came up with him. And I think um, between the two of them and just the way the team looked on Sunday, like, I, I know we've joked, like, maybe they saved Hoiberg's job, but it really feels like they at least bought him a year with the, the dynamic they Long posed. way to go, Joel. Long way to go. But but I agree. I think Sunday, you know, gave the program a lot of credibility uh, that, it, that it was lacking. And I have been maybe – Hoiberg's biggest public critic. Uh, I mean, privately, I know he has a lot of critics, but you know, I I would have fired him last March. Uh, I yeah. thought I thought it was it was a complete disaster through three years. Uh, I didn't think there was any chance that they could flip the identity uh, and the culture of the program and make it sort of hard nosed, rugged, defensive. You know, and they they are kind of trending in that direction. I mean, you, as a Chicago guy, you watch what Hoiberg did with the Bulls. Like, they, when it, when he has tried to run, you know, beautiful offense without the pieces, it's been a disaster. It's nasty, yep. And this year, finally, they just kind of decided, hey, man, this is who we are. <laughs> uh, we're going we're gonna to be pretty ugly, but we're going to be long. We're going to fly around. Uh, we're going to slow the game down and I don't know if it'll keep working, but I think they've showed in the last week or two that there's at least enough hope there to, to make you think that this might be sustainable. This model might be sustainable. And, uh, it starts with, you know, with, with defense, with Gary and Bandamel and Griesel. Uh, but Nebraska looks like, you know, somebody to take seriously. Yeah. And we, and let me give, we can't, we can't go without mention Ben the Mel. Like he did a really great job on the guard, especially Nemhard. Like Nemhard has put on a master class this year in terms of just 
controlling the pace in every game he's been in. And um, I think he's, like, top 10. I saw a graphic yesterday. Like, he's, like, top 10 in the country of of scoring average among uh, ranked teams or something like that, or high major teams, something something crazy like that. Like, he, them Hards had a really great year, not only as a facilitator, but as a scorer when they needed him. Um, and Bandamel just really took him out of his game. Like, I was really impressed. And so I'm, I'm looking at Sunday's game, and I'm, my instant thought was, is this, this has to be the signature win of the Hoiberg era, right? Like, this. The, they they went up to Wisconsin last year at the end of the year and and won on Wisconsin Senior Day. They uh, they ruined Brad Steve Brad Davison's eighth Senior Day ceremony, uh, his eighth year <laughs> his eighth year in college. But uh, that was that was the only other contender for the honor. I think in t- you know with all the surroundings of the game and what it means to Nebraska. Uh, I mean, let's be honest, Joel. A huge reason for Nebraska's joy on Sunday was. They get bragging rights for the next year, and they they know and this that, is the year to have those. Yes, because Creighton's been talking about you know best best team in school history and all that, and Nebraska's gonna they're gonna own bragging rights, you know, over this team no matter how far they go. You're gonna hear Nebraska fans say, "Yeah, well, you couldn't you couldn't beat us." Yeah, as if it wasn't already enough to to <laughs> to be rooting for their football team. On, <laughs> That's on right. So. Yeah, the Jaysker jokes, you know, those will keep coming. Uh, did you did you get any feedback this week from from Creighton fans or Nebraska fans that particularly stood out in re- in regard to just the rivalry and and how it maybe took a step up on Sunday? Um, I had a lot of people talking about my column. Like I I got a lot of shit for that, um, <laughs> and and rightfully so, man. I shouldn't dismiss Nebraska. I mean. My thing was, like, as the game was unfolding, like, people were, were mentioning it as the game was unfolding. And I'm thinking, like, you know, excuse me for thinking shot makers would make shots. Like, how goofy of me. I like, think you appropriately dismissed Nebraska based on the track record, you know, based on recent history. Yeah, yeah. But I, I ain't mad at the Nebraska fans who, who are like, ha, in your face. Like, that is part of this, man. So, I, I ain't mad at it. But I definitely had – I got some emails, got some mentions. I actually had, like, a few – relatively respectful exchanges with people so like i ain't mad at any of that but uh but yeah i I, it was some some interesting stuff unfolding and like creighton just made me look dumb man like like what what can you do it at that point like you one i'm not a person who defends all my takes like as z is watching soccer over here i couldn't tell you what's on the screen (laughs) um but but i'm not one of those people who defends every take with my life and um, this is one of those, and so like people that were, I mean, you got to think like I had never witnessed this rivalry, or I hadn't been here to, to plant my roots here, so I don't understand the true dynamic of it. But then, you know, as you're seeing the game unfold and you're, you're hearing the the small spurts of go big red chance at the end of the game, you really start to to feel what what it's like and and how much it actually means to people. Well, so. don't feel bad, Joel, because I've been watching this game for. 30 years now and and i was just as just as certain as you were that creighton was going to win uh it is interesting how creighton's how their rise in college basketball though has has changed the dynamic of the rivalry i mean like i said before when i started watching this thing in 1990 95 you know up into the 2000s i mean creighton took a lot of joy in playing Nebraska and beating Nebraska. I mean, because Creighton was, you know, Missouri Valley Conference, and, uh, you know, nobody gave them a lot of credit or attention. Nebraska got bigger crowds. 
it's it's that part of it is completely changed. Where now Creighton is is the big dog. Um, you know they they get the bigger crowds. They get more attention. They're on ESPN getting you know getting love from Jay Billis and Dick Vitale and everybody else. And it they underestimated Nebraska on Sunday. And it will be interesting how that evolves over the course you know going ahead because. I'm not saying that all these guys are going to be back next year or that Nebraska's guys are going to be back, but the fans on both sides are going to remember Sunday. They're going to remember what that felt like. And, and I think it will, it will probably add intensity next year and maybe level out the expectations a little bit on both sides. Yeah. And you got to admit in terms of the idea of maybe Creighton overlooking them or whatever the case may be, like if you're a player and you just came from, the most illustrious midseason tournament in college basketball. And then playing number two in the country. And then playing number two in the country. And then you play a team that I don't even think they were top 100 Kempom going into the season or going into the game. You got to admit, it, no matter if it's your state rival or the team that knocked you out the tournament last year or whatever, you just, the juice is not going to be there, man. I mean, you were just psyching yourself up for the biggest of – you know, the highest stakes, you know, for, for two weeks nonstop to go to a game like that. Um, it just it didn't have the same dynamic. So um, I, I can see how they overlooked them. But I also think Nebraska was the right team to expose their problems in terms of uh, like I don't think McDermott's clearly not doing this intentionally, but it feels like there's like a Tibbs effect here where he's going to have to run his starters into the ground. And it's not by it's not by choice, like unlike Tibbs, it's not by choice, but. Um, Nebraska really exposed those problems. It will be interesting here when they go to Vegas. What changes on Creighton's side? You know, like will they make more of an effort to take fewer threes? Will they make more of an effort to play the seventh, eighth, and ninth guys? You know, double digit minutes. Like, are there going to be tangible things that you see aside from just the starting five's performance? Uh, will there be things that you see from a coaching standpoint that decisions that are made to try to prevent some of the problems that we've seen over the last 10 days? Yeah. And I mean, I know they got stuff up their sleeves, but I just don't know. Like, and Mac has had a few quotes like this already where he's like, he, he emphasizes that shooters have bad days and that stuff like that, that already enforces not like he's not saying it himself, but they're going to keep shooting. Like he, He's behind the idea of continuing to shoot because it's not like they're not getting the looks. Uh, I don't know how long it'll continue where they're getting the best looks and they're not looking them down or not knocking them down, but um, he's fully confident in taking them. So unless we see five straight games that like they look like Austin or look like Sunday, I don't know that we'll really see a change to their approach. Because even last year when they shot. 30% or so from three, like they were still shooting them. So I know Joel. And this is my, this is my problem is like, I feel like the program's identity is let it fly. Like I was there when that whole thing started. Uh, you know, it Creighton had one of a few of the best shooting three point shooting teams, probably the last decade. And it, it created an identity for this program that I'm not sure that's who they are anymore. I realize they've still got guys who who love to fire it, but, man, you, you can't have a bunch of games where you're shooting 20 to 30% from the three-point line where you do that and, and you don't eventually change your strategy. Uh, 
it's one thing if the Golden State Warriors are doing it, you know, because they know what they've got in in Curry and Thompson and Poole. Uh, it's another thing when you've got guys that are that are that have not proven to be great shooters. And I think it's going to be really interesting how Creighton tries to keep that identity and that level of confidence while maybe adapting a little bit to to the personnel that that is struggling right now. Sure. And, you know, the crazy thing is the personnel they have, I, I think, um, put any of these guys anywhere else. Like, I think they have good individual shooting years. Like, I mean, Namhar is not a bad shooter. Shireman was a revered shooter coming into this year. Trey Alexander uh, looked like he made that jump. I still think he is a improved shooter from last year, which um, by that mark would be a good shooter probably anywhere. Kaluma is probably the main one you got a question mark with, but that his his projections of being a first rounder were based on, you know, people believing he would make a shooting leap. And then I don't think the summer helped him where he had to get surgery and was, was out. Like not having the summer definitely has hurt him and, and you'll see you see it across college basketball where like Derek Whitehead is a guy I was really high on um from Duke. But he missed a big chunk of time and he's had a slow start as a result. So I think people should be more patient with Kaluma, but like you put these guys anywhere else and give them like a perfect summer and all that. Like, I think they're all good shooters elsewhere. I I don't know what about it, what what it is about them all being here together to to have a game like that. But um, but yeah, man, it's not. I, I don't think it's it's the personnel. But I do think based on their personnel, they could be you know finding other ways to score. I mean, Kaluma is a guy. I don't know how many guys with his size and potential handle can really check him um, in terms of dribble penetration and, and kicking out like that because he is a talented passer. And then uh, Nemhard, I mean, you saw what he did in the Arkansas game. He got it done many ways. I don't think there's a better in-between player than Trey Alexander. Um, and then Shireman, he is mostly a shooter, but um, he does allow for some dribble penetration and kicking out. He's probably the best at that. So um, I don't think it's their personnel necessarily, but they are together having – bad performances i i don't know how to describe the phenomenon yeah. they gotta they gotta keep learning to play together uh it's part of being a really talented team last thought huskers play purdue tomorrow uh purdue Ooh. is arguably the number one team in the country i know the rankings don't say so but but they've been super impressive um you know zach Eadies obviously gets all the all the headlines nebraska is going to have to play really really well they're in the middle of a, of a just torturous stretch of, of tough games here um, what do the Huskers have to do to keep it going? Uh, I'm not sure they could do much with Purdue. Purdue's been pleasantly surprising. And the thing about Purdue is they got probably one of the best first options in college basketball, maybe even the best right now. Zach Eady looks like a large one at this point or some shit. Like it, you, you really like – the when I was in Indy covering a few of their games, like the most frustrating thing about him to me was like Travion was a better big to me at the time because – Zach Eady, you knew, like, his height was inevitable, but he still didn't have the same scoring gravity, I thought, that he has this year. Like, this year, it's, like, automatic, like, over the shoulder. Like, there's nothing you could do. Two, three, two, three bodies, like, there's nothing you could do. And so now it's, like, you have a real, one of the best first options in the country, and it, it's hell every night. Like, he's really, like, a first-team All-American to me. Um, so And they've surrounded him with, with guys who compliment him. I mean, they always do. And they're not the most talented, but they – they fit well. I mean, maybe they're not the most talented right now, but I think down the line they project to be good. And, um, like, the freshman guard, Braden Smith, has been really surprising. Uh, Lawyer's been good. Like, they just – the team, I didn't think this would 
be the team. I thought this would maybe be a much down year from mm-hmm. last year because last year was like their most talented team in a while. But they look really good, man. I think Nebraska is going to play really hard. I think they've, uh, you know, if if Greasel can be back somewhere close to where he was last weekend, you know, I think it gives them a chance. Uh, they're going to try to muck it up. They're going to try to, you know, create havoc out there. Uh, if they can get the home crowd into it and get the game into the last 10 minutes, you know, I think Nebraska's got a chance. But, but big picture, I think it's important for the Huskers to just take a step forward of confidence, even if they lose the game. I mean, they're the the tough, literally the toughest two games in their Big Ten schedule are probably the first and second ones they play. So uh, they they you know after a rough ten minutes the other night they they pulled it together and played better. I thought that was encouraging. If they can get through Saturday, you know, and just and play a solid basketball game, even if they lose. Uh, I think the Huskers, you know, can look at the rest of the Big Ten and say there's nobody that we can't beat. So uh, let's uh, let's keep watching them. It's their their season has has gained a lot of interest over the last uh, ten to fourteen days. So uh, and we'll be watching Creighton in Vegas, and uh, hopefully you can, you know, behave yourself and and not uh, go I, out, spend I too much time on, out on the town. Hey, I already went on sixteen twenty and told them like, hey, if. You, if you're a reader, if you want to talk shit to me or you really like my writing, come drink with me, man. I'm going to be <laughs> out drinking, so come come drink with me. Uh, the city that never sleeps, that's New York, but Joel might not be sleeping in Vegas. So. Probably not. I don't sleep anyway, but yep. definitely not there. Uh, that'll be that'll be it for uh, this week's episode of the Half Court Podcast, uh, Half Court Press. We appreciate you guys listening, and uh, we'll be back here uh, middle of next week to to discuss the recent developments with uh, Creighton and Nebraska and college basketball in general. Uh, thanks so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>